right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Peeling the Product. Today, our special guest is David McCullough, founder and CEO of brightnets.com. That's the product that we're going to peel today. It should be a fun one. Uh, it's kind of interesting how our, our topics have trended more towards technology and less towards consumer, but I'm sure a future episode will correct that. David, why don't you do a quick intro? Thanks, Trent. Appreciate the opportunity to join the podcast today. Yeah, so I'll just give you a quick quick introduction, give you a little background on myself and why, why Brightnets even exists. But in any case, I come from a technology background, as you mentioned earlier. I worked in telecom for a while, mostly on the network side, so mostly for network service providers in the past. And then the past... I'd say eight years or so of my career, I've spent a lot of time with software-defined networking technologies, working for companies like Megaport, Console, Equinix, and also most recently, Inflect. In any case, at all of these companies, there's a lot of similarities in the, the work that I've done working with the hyperscalers on automation, API integrations around cloud interconnection and automation in the network. And it's been a fantastic journey, but recently in November of last year, I decided to uh, spin up my own consulting business and that's how Brightnets was formed. I found an opportunity in the market to do something a little different, a little more unique and try to tackle some of the issues that the enterprise customers face when it comes to cloud networking and also try to tackle some of the issues that some of the service providers are facing. So we could talk a little bit more about this probably in the conversation today, but there's there's a couple aspects to the consulting uh, side of the business that we can discuss more. But in any case, happy to be here. And it's always great to uh, great to talk, Trent. Absolutely. No, thanks so much for joining us. It's, it's an honor for us as well. And it sounds like we have, you know, a lot of depth that we can explore here. And as you know, I'm Trent Blakely, and on the podcast with me this time is Yogesh Sharma. Go ahead and say hello. Thank you, Trent. David, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast and Yogesh Sharma, the co-host of The Feeding the Product. And we are looking forward to learning more about your product, the challenges and opportunities that you foresee in the future. Thank you. Welcome once again. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. Well, let's let's go ahead and dive in. I guess one of the first questions, you know, we were looking on your website. You, you say that Brightnets was founded on the belief that it shouldn't be hard to find information about cloud networking products and services. Plus, this information should be free. So, we wanted to ask, you know, why does this matter to you, and why is that so important? Yeah. Th- thanks, Trent. This is this is fundamental to to Brightnets and sort of the ethos that we have, right? In in the past few years, many more players and new market entrants have appeared in the SD-WAN, SASE, SDN, network as a service, you know, pick pick your keyword there, uh, space. And so with the proliferation of different technologies, different products, different companies, it's become increasingly hard for the enterprise to figure out what products they need or what use cases and to optimize their network architecture from either a cost perspective or a performance perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you're out there as an enterprise and you're struggling to even get those basic answers and you can't find a single resource to do that, that's one of the problems that we're trying to solve for. So there's lots of different communities out there. There's lots of different companies with different products out there with different knowledge bases. 
none of it's really cohesive. And even though some of those problems do solve discrete problems well, it's not a cohesive story for the enterprise in all cases. So again, we're trying to provide access to knowledge, access Mm -hmm. to information fundamentally, so that it's easier for the enterprise space to answer some of these questions. So that's number one. Uh, Number two, we're also trying to make it easier for the network service providers, the data center operators, some of these other companies in the as a service space to talk about their offerings and to have compelling information to address the enterprise's use cases and to make it easier for them to understand what those solutions are, how they work together. Odds are if you're an enterprise customer, you're not just going to go to one vendor and go, aha, it's one throat to choke and I'm going to use them for everything. No, odds are you're going to have a multitude of vendors, especially if you have a hybrid cloud networking architecture or you're a multi-cloud oriented customer, right? So Mm -hmm. in either of those circumstances, you're going to want to work with probably multiple providers, maybe across multiple geographies. And that means, again, multiple vendors to manage, multiple products to manage. So Mm -hmm. we exist to try to help answer some of those questions to make it easier and a little more simple for the enterprise to find the solutions that matter. Okay. Yeah. So before we get too deep, I also wanted to see if you could back up and just define like, or, or, Quickly spell out at least what SD-WAN and SASE are. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So lots of acronyms, yep. um, lots of words. It's it's alphabet soup out there. In fact, there. it's funny. I'll, I'll reflect back for just a minute on going to Google Next, Google Cloud Next, maybe the third year they ever had the conference, and they... They essentially were trying to educate their users, their customers, which at that time were kind of mid-sized enterprises, not quite large enterprises yet, on the terminology that they were using in the space, right? So, for example, they, they I wouldn't say they ripped it off, but they used the term VPC. Now, VPC is an AWS term. I think some of us know what, it, know what that is. It's a virtual private cloud. But that wasn't something, that construct or that term was not a native thing to Google Cloud early on. And so they had to go through sort of their, again, their alphabet soup of terms and and acronyms and try to align with service providers that maybe had similar constructs and terms, right? So they aligned to AWS effectively with a lot of the terminology. But anyway, just giving you a quick example, because over time, it's 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 become a little more complicated to understand what some of these acronyms mean and why they matter, right? So let's unpack that for just a minute. SDN, Software Defined Networking, it's somewhat of an analog to NAS or Network as a Service, which is often used, but it is different than SD-WAN, Software Defined Wide Area Networking, right? So that speaks to the, the wide area network that you may manage yourself depending on whether or not those are virtual devices in the network that you have access to or devices that are managed on your behalf. And it also depends on the underlying protocol that you're using to route traffic across the network, right? So there's a lot of nuances to what SD-WAN even means. And then if you talk about SASE, everyone's sort of batting that around these days. SASE kind of speaks to secure access at the edge. It's, It's actually an acronym for secure access service edge. You know, you could you could even pick different terms for that, honestly, but that again speaks to more of the security element when you're thinking about edge devices in your network 
and making sure, again, you, you not only have the right routing protocols, but you also have the right security protocols and policies that are in effect across your network. So why are we talking about all of this? Well, it all matters, right? Because not every, not a single player, not a single vendor has an answer to everything. I think there are some providers that do certain things really well. And then some providers that maybe they maybe they've got an ancillary offering and maybe it's not the best offering, but you could use it if you want to, right? We've seen some changes with the hyperscalers even introducing more networking products over the past few years to address some of these issues, right? So both Amazon and Azure have come out with new networking products, Google Cloud as well, to try to take more market share from some of these other individual vendors that exist in the space. And we can talk a little bit more about that if you're interested. But yeah, it's a veritable alphabet soup of acronyms and terms and providers. But again, trying to unpack that and trying to help the enterprise understand the differences between those things is part of what BrightNets is about. Excellent. The very thorough explanation there. I appreciate that. So I guess kind of as a as a nice segue, you already touched on this a little bit, but what do you think is at the root of why these decisions are so challenging for, for enterprise customers? You know, when you only have two choices, life is easy, <laughs> right? Yeah. So fundamentally, choice is good, right? But choice means the possibility for paralysis by analysis. You know, pick your pick your phrase there. It's hard to sometimes sift through the individual products and service providers, depending on your use case, to find the right one. And I think that's again, we've talked about this already. It's one of the big challenges. Second big challenge is is I think around the maybe the financial aspect of it. A lot of companies are going from a capex to an opex model, right? So you're going from a more traditional method method of managing costs when it comes to building a network, right? Maybe you have some legacy mm-hmm. data center space. You're accustomed to managing stuff or infrastructure from a capex perspective, but you haven't quite shifted entirely to an opex model. So companies that are in that tra- transition often find it hard to even take the first steps toward more of an opex based model. And then the ones that are have already taken some of those steps, they have questions on okay. How do I how do I take all of my infrastructure and swing it all the way to an OpEx model? So that's probably the second aspect. And the third aspect is future proofing, right? How do you future proof what you're doing, the financial decisions and the network decisions that you make today? How do you future proof that against what's going to happen in five years, right? What's going to happen uh, even in three years? And so a lot of enterprise c- companies, especially ones that are a little bit more mid-sized versus large size have time horizons of three to five years on a lot of their investments. And so, again, if you're in an OPEX sort of base model, things might be a little bit more expensive, you know, month to month, year to year, but maybe that's the right way to, to, to build infrastructure or manage infrastructure, but you have to take all of those things into consideration. So I think it's, it's probably, one, you know, one of those three things. Again, complexity of choice, complexity of operating models, CapEx versus OPEX, and there's, again, some nuances in there, of course. And then lastly, sort of future-proofing these decisions on a go-forward basis. You guys, you want to jump in here? No, definitely. I mean, thanks, David, for providing that kind of insight. But one thing which I'm really interested to know is that you talked about mid-level segment and uh, enterprises or the uh, the big enterprises. What about the startup 
are people like generally like startups they they scale up their infrastructure and it's all over the place and they are struggling and so i would love to know what is your advice and when do you think that they should people like them should approach companies like you at what stage they should be coming to you and what is your advice to them i i think it's a great question it's it it comes back to that probably that moment in time where they have uh, we'll call maybe series probably series b level of investment they they now have a cfo they now have a cto and they're make they're starting to evaluate these problems right your early stage startups they're not really thinking about networking issues honestly i mean i just be blunt about it they're probably running everything in amazon or google or azure they're plunking down a credit card they're buying they're buying vms or buying instances of whatever they need it's working right so whatever they need from a compute and storage perspective or even even some of the networking capabilities that now exist natively in Amazon or natively in Google that's enough that's sufficient right and if they want an HA architecture for application mm-hmm. design and redundancy between multiple availability zones or regions it's all there natively right they don't have mm-hmm. to go to a, a third party vendor to to do this stuff now interestingly enough a few years ago i worked with a startup who had they had just hired a cfo and he realized that they were spending around $100,000 a month on Amazon on AWS. Mm-hmm. And it, that was the tipping point. He came in and went, "Aha. What is this? What is this line item on our monthly accounts payable? What are we going to do about it?" And it was at that moment they decided to actually consider a hybrid cloud networking architecture and actually run an environment in a data center nearby. But they had physical mm-hmm. access to and then but still also rely on AWS, right? So there was there was that tipping point for them. Maybe they should have done it sooner, but mm-hmm. it took a CFO coming in to go, what is this? And sort of challenge what they'd been doing for for many years. So they built a little networking team that two or three employees uh, to manage this stuff in-house, plus mm-hmm. some contractors, but they made that, they made that change. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's sort of that, how I look at it. That definitely answers my question because by that time, a lot of damage has already been done to, to the startup company. And for the startup company, that hundred thousands that they are paying over the months makes a big number on their account balance sheet. Yep. Thank you. Yep. So uh, one more question I have before we go ahead is that you mentioned that not, I mean, there are so many options there, but not, not all the possible capabilities can be produced by or can be is is in-house and on in, whether with the big names whether we talk about aws whether we talk about google cloud and or even the azure what is the reason why why can't these even these giants are still struggling to build this suite of products even though the, they have like 40 or 60 products right now why what do you think what is the, the main reason they are they're still struggling and why how do you see yourself coming into, into that space now so let me make sure I understand the question. Why why is AWS maybe struggling or Azure struggling to sort of holistically yep. meet the needs? Okay. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I th- I think it actually goes back to a decision that was made many years ago by AWS and and apologies to any AWS folks that are listening, <laughs> but this is this is my understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Back back when AWS fired up their partner programs. There's a technology and a consulting program, right? They really mm-hmm. believe that partners could help bridge the gap on certain functionality that they couldn't solve for themselves, right? 
In fact, mm-hmm. there there have been several companies that were born born out of former AWS employees that found a gap in the product suite, and then those companies were then purchased back by AWS to solve that problem mm-hmm. or plug that hole in the ship, right? So this model of we can't solve everything has actually been an, an inherent part to I think the AWS strategy, which is we're going to be good at what we know, mm-hmm. right? We're going to focus on the competencies that that we have that we know we're good at, whether that's from a compute perspective, a storage perspective, or you know a VM based offering perspective. We're going to do that well, and we it's okay if our partners fill the gap, right? It's okay because we want to foster a partner community. So I think there's always been that spirit of we like to work with partners. We want partners to help again, either on the technology side or the consulting side. And I think for Azure, it's been it's been similar, maybe not not in the same way as as Amazon, but it's been a kind of a similar effort. We're going to rely on partners. Okay, so that's a little bit of the context. But if we want to double click into the networking side, on the networking side, AWS, Azure, Google, and Oracle are are 100% reliant on technology partners for their cloud interconnection products. For example, AWS AWS has about 100 Direct Connect partners. Azure has about 100 or so Express Route partners, actually even more than that, because some of those partners are aggregating other partners, right? Google Cloud, maybe not quite as many, but similar. And the same with Oracle, not quite the same amount, but it, it, but also relying on partners for, for the networking piece. And this, this goes back to that partner based decision. And it also goes back to a decision that was made by the networking teams many years previously on we don't want to run a network that's a, a basically acting where we're acting like a carrier, right? We're not going to be a telecom company. So. A lot of it had to do with that thought process around we're just not going to run a network that's as, maybe as robust as a large telecom company because um, we don't want to compete with them because also they're the partners that we we need to get to our customers. Our customers' traffic is traversing Zeo, AWS, Lumen, AT&T, you know, pick a large telecom provider. Most of their customers' traffic is going across these networks. So they're reliant on those partners to bring them customers traffic, but also through these cloud interconnection products that they offer, like the ones I just mentioned, Direct Connect, Express Route, Google Cloud Interconnect, Oracle Fast Connect, so forth and so on. So I think it's really a combination of those two things, fostering the partner community, but also acknowledging the fact that they don't they don't want to be a carrier, right? And go through all the jumps and the hurdles involved with, you know, mm-hmm. re, you know being a telecom provider. Okay. Thank you. That's, thanks for that insight. Yeah, good good segue too. I mean, I want to shift gears just a little bit. A lot of network service providers, telecom companies, and data center operators seem to be pretty focused on purpose-built applications for customer productivity. In your view, I mean, what are some of the challenges that you see like in the next five years or so as more software tools become available to enterprise customers for for these purposes of cloud networking and whatnot? Yeah, great, great question, Trent. I you know, I I I think as you look at the number of tools out there, it's just going to get worse. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. you know, think about your large network provider or your large data center operator. Odds are, if you're a customer of theirs, you have multiple logins to multiple tools, software-based tools that do different things, right? So, for example, if you're an Equinix customer, and in full disclosure, I used to work there, right? 
you probably had logins to at least five or six different portals previously to go do different discrete things. Hey, I want to go order a cross connect. I'm going to go do that through the ECP portal. I want to order a network edge device. Well, I'm going to go log into that portal. Hey, I want to, you know, I want to open a smart hands ticket. Well, where do I go do that? Right. So there's a lot of different portals that have been built out of necessity really to help address customers' problems, but not done in a cohesive way where the customer comes in and goes, ah, this is a unified user experience. When I go into ECP, it looks just the customer portal looks just like the other portal. The permissions are the same. Role-based access controls are the same, right? This stuff is inconsistent from portal to portal, depending on the service provider. And then compounding that is an inconsistent experience across the different portals, right? So if you're a multi, again, a multi-vendor customer, let's say you're working with Equinix, Digital Realty, Foresight, and Cyrus One, I'm just picking four random data center companies for my analogy here. My example here, they're going to all have different portal experiences for Oregon Cross Connect. And you're going to have to learn how to go into those portals and figure out how to click, take what are the steps necessary to set up a user, sorry, to log in, to set up a user, to go find the product, to go then order the product, provision the product, manage the product. And then all of the, what we call MACD, move, add, change, delete processes, all the MACD processes on the back end, once you've actually provisioned this thing, how do I actually go do that? So that puts a higher level of burden on the user to actually think about well, where do I go do that? So I think one of the big issues that a lot of these companies are going to face, especially if they offer more, which is good, right? More products available in our portals. Digital infrastructure is good. Offering more infrastructure as a service is good, but that means more proliferation of different user experiences. So how as an industry do you think about these problems? And how as an industry do you think about standardization of your user experience? Forget about standardization of the product, right? A lot of work is being done by MEF on standard standardizing how products are thought about different attributes of products, right? That's good. But how do we think about user experience? And I think that's one that's one area that might become a bigger challenge long term. Really good insights. It's it's fascinating how many of these providers uh, attempt to be a true one stop shop, but even within a single provider, the the experience can be very you know bifurcated or or dissected amongst the different service offerings that are that are given. The, the other kind of add on to that was a question around, you know, so it put yourself in that product leadership position at one of these providers, you, you've been in product leadership positions in, in the past. And how, how do you go about starting to fix that? Like, what do you think are is at the root of some of those issues, where it could be chipped away at, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, great question. It's hard. It's a hard one, right? Because mm-hmm. everyone thinks they're doing it the right way. You know, I've I've spent $10 million developing this new portal. I've got software developers, UX people, product people, and I'm building, I'm building this thing that I think is the right way to consume my product. And again, that's great if you only have customers that buy your product and there's no one else offering that product. I guess that's fine. But again, we don't live in a, a single vendor world or a single data center world, a single, single network provider world, single hyperscaler world, right? So I truly think there is an opportunity long-term for some of these providers to share, to share knowledge, 
or try to work together on creating better user experiences for consuming the products, not just not just creating standardized approaches to how the products are defined, right? How a DIA circuit is defined, those attributes, those different aspects to what, you know, what denominations of bandwidth are offered. Okay, that's that's sort of the easy stuff. The hard stuff is, well, how do you make it easier for a customer to know to know the product or find the product in your portal? Number one. Number two, click to buy, click to provision. You know, pick your process there, right? That's going to be the harder challenge, I think, longer term for all of these service providers and creating these user experiences. I'm not saying that everyone should try to rip each other off or steal each other's ideas, but that might happen too. And maybe that's not a bad thing because you're helping the enterprise and you're helping the enterprise with making a purchasing decision. At the end of the day, you've got to make it easy. You've got to help the enterprise be able to find what they need easily and then click to buy it, click to consume it. We're all trained very well today as consumers with consumer products. You know, your average five-year-old now can probably log into your average software portal and buy an iPhone or buy a whatever on Amazon.com, right? We're all sort of trained with certain repeatable patterns, behavioral patterns that we're accustomed to. And I think that same sort of logic can be applied to the B2B space and some of these UX challenges that we're facing. And some of them are new, right? So in, in, in full transparency, some of these challenges are new and they've never been encountered before. But for the ones that you know we we already have tools for, you know, cross-connect ordering is a big one. Hey, let's let's maybe compare notes. Let's maybe try to make this a little easier for the enterprise user to go buy a cross-connect in the portal. Mm-hmm. No, I think there's there's a lot to be said around the importance and value of standards across an industry, and I think that's especially true of, of this industry where. You know, some of these products are still new enough that those standards are still being formed, right? And then you you talk about how standards can be, you know, how do you how do you form standards but still allow for differentiation in the product, right? And yeah. and the competitive nature of the industry to to still exist. So I'm curious as we start to near the end of our time, you know, what software solutions do you currently provide, and and what's kind of in development? Can you give us a sneak peek to your to your product roadmap? Yeah, I'll, I'll just touch on it real briefly. Today, if you go to brightnets.com, there's a cloud networking assessment tool. It's a very simple tool. It's not complex. It's easy to use. It's a stepwise sort of question-based, form, you know, sort of form-based approach to getting customers to think about these questions, right? You can skip certain sections to the questionnaire. You can move on to, you know, different questions that pertain to you. But at the end of it, you will get a response from somebody and they'll probably come back to you with more questions, good news, bad news, so that they can help provide you with an assessment of your network and give you recommendations to optimize that network from, again, a cost perspective or a network perspective. So that's that's sort of day one. That's, that's what's uh, available today. Day two, and what we're working on in the background, is a more automated approach to answering those questions. So for example, you plug in a bunch of answer, uh, responses to these, these basic questions. You get real-time information based on API integrations with the hyperscalers or based API integrations with the network service providers. So you can start to answer these questions in real time and spend less time doing research because the answers are being provided to you directly in the portal. And I'll give you one quick example. If you're trying to figure out the cost of a Direct Connect product from Amazon, 
they have their own pricing calculator. You can go to the pricing calculator, it works great. But it's just for the Amazon cost. Keep in mind, there's a partner involved. In fact, there may be two partners involved. There may be a data center operator and a network operator. How do I take the total cost and evaluate that so that I can then make a decision on whether or not this product makes sense for me? Or maybe tweak the attributes. Maybe I don't need so much bandwidth. Maybe I can get away with less bandwidth and you can see the change in cost. But really, there's th- when there's three parties involved, three different products, three different ways of pricing things, it can be fairly complex to get those answers. So that's one of the things that we're thinking about with the products that we're building, which is how do we easily give the enterprise an answer to that question? Hey, I need Direct Connect. Tell me how much it's going to cost. And we can provide that fairly quickly and instantaneously in the portal, not just from the AWS perspective, but also from the other vendors that might be involved. That's awesome. That so sounds really, Mordecai. really good. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that the importance of being able to like, first of all, make the the view holistic, I think that's super valuable, as well as I know when I worked at level three, we were always being asked, you know, is this apples to apples? So comparing all the different providers, comparing solutions one to another, especially if you're looking at price as your main measuring tool, then it, you know, it's so easy to inadvertently compare an apple to an orange. That's right. That's right. So start small, focus on a few few problems, especially from a multi-cloud, hybrid cloud use case perspective. And then from there, we may aggregate other other data sets, right? We may add in other products, but that's that's what's coming and more to come on that. Awesome. Yogesh, anyone, anything you want to jump in with? I have one more question for David. Apart from product marketing right now, what are the other key challenges that you have right now? Because now you're coming in, you are a startup, you want to showcase that you are a differentiator. What are the other key challenges that you have right now? Product, you know, product marketing is a big one. In fact, it's, it's, it's product marketing for the service providers as well, right? Because in a lot of cases, they all kind of sound and look and feel similar, right? So we're going to try to help with that. We're going to try to make sure that any user that comes into either the site and reads a blog post, consumes mm-hmm. content, or actually interacts with our tools, really understands the, 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 the underlying products and what they can do or cannot do. I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll be more compelling and a better user experience than what's available to them, maybe even in the service providers, portal experiences, but that's, that's a starting place. So product, you know, product marketing. Yeah. It's a, it's a big one. It's important. We got, we have to get it right. Some of the other challenges of course are going to be working with service providers that may or may not be mature enough in this space to provide Mm -hmm. the data or the data sets that we need to be able to aggregate it in a meaningful way. So that's something where, we may have to rely on another third-party data source, or we may have to rely on other aggregators of data to provide that. So that's probably a secondary a secondary challenge. And I think the third, and this is a longer-term pursuit, is listening to customers. It's listening to prospects. Mm-hmm. It's trying to understand what they actually need and what they want. Uh, the last thing in the world that you know we want to do, or I think any startup in this space, to do is throw something at the wall and, and hope it sticks, right? You have to focus on user research. I think, you know, blue sky thinking is important. I think customer led research and design is important. So that you try to get these, these things right. And you don't always have to boil the ocean when you deliver something, right? 
a preview of something or a limited availability version of something often gives you enough information to then go make that that longer term decision to go, okay, this thing has been kind of sitting in beta or LA mode for a while. Maybe we actually push this into GA. We push it into production now. We've got enough signal. We know it's going to be effective. We know we've got enough customers that are already using it. This can be more easily monetized or and, and more fundamentally, it's easier for us to attract more customers as well. Awesome. So I think maybe our final question, a lot of our listeners are, are either, you know, early in their product career or maybe are trying to, to break in. Can you describe from your perspective, kind of what are some of the key attributes? Like, what does it take to, to be a product manager in this space? Curiosity and an appetite for knowledge and a desire to solve problems. It's probably a mix of those three things, right? I don't actually come from an engineering background. I come from more of a commercial and sales background and marketing background. And I found my way into the product space and product leadership space because I like to solve problems. I mean, at the end of the day, it came down to a very simple question at one of my former employers of how do, how do we make things faster? How do we make things more efficient? We're making this one thing, but how do we do it better? And that was a, a, an interesting challenge to go solve. And, and that's what sort of pushed me down this path. So I think if, if you're curious, you like to solve problems, and you like to figure out all the different bits and pieces that go into solving the problem, not only from a technology perspective, but also from a go-to-market perspective even, or a marketing perspective, and you like coordinating these things, you know, that's that's sort of what I've told folks in the past that are, you know, they're looking at a product management career. When I was on the, on the advisory board at Santa Clara University for the MBA program, you know, I'd go to events and sessions on this. In fact, this, that question you asked, Trent, was asked all the time. It was, how, how did you get into product management? Um, I have a background in engineering. Uh, how do you get into product management? I have a background in marketing. And, and the answer is always the same, right? Regardless of your background, I think it comes down to curiosity and aptitude to solve problems and the ability. I didn't really mention this earlier, but the ability to help coordinate multiple folks across different departments. So that cross-functional sort of coordination is really important for the success of your product. Great points. Love it. So uh, where, where can people find out more? I mean, obviously, go go check out brightsnet, brightnets.com. Is there another place where people can connect with you? Brightnets.com is the best way to connect. There's a form there to sort of, you know, register for, for more information. You can always email me as well, david at brightnets.com. That's another good way to get in touch with me. Always happy to talk more about this stuff. I think there's, as you can tell, I have a lot of excitement in my voice. I'm passionate for this stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions. And I think that's the most interesting part to all of this, which is we don't all have the answers. We don't know what the future is going to hold exactly. We don't know what next the next technolo technological innovation will be that will help sort of shift the way we think about things right we're already we're already thinking about ai and the impact of ai workloads on infrastructure that's a hot topic it's you know it's a big debate big conversation but those are ex those are exciting points in time to be a part of and to have those debates because we don't have the answers right and so looking for expertise from different places to help answer those questions is really exciting. And I think it's important. It's important to stay educated. And it's important to stay hungry when it comes to knowledge. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining us. We'll wrap up with this. 
Yogesh, any any parting words of wisdom? The last one. Will will any any of our listeners get any kind of uh, discount if they come for the peeling the product for you? Early adopters are always welcome, right? And there's always there's always ways to to structure different types of partnerships and and arrangements for early adopters. But but yeah, awesome. Sounds great. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Bye bye. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We hope you found it informative and enjoyable. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us through our website or social media channels. We value your feedback and appreciate your support. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We have some exciting topics coming up in the future that we think you will really enjoy. We will be back soon. Until then, stay tuned. Keep learning exploring and growing. Take care.